Happy Friday Eve, everybody, and welcome to Unbothered. Today, I'm going to break down tonight's Thursday night football game, Dolphins-Bengals, who has the edge, who I'm picking. Then, Tom Brady's struggles, are they real or not? Bill Belichick and Matt Jones, Devontae Adams, Derek Carr. Then, I'll talk about NBA, DeAndre Ayton, Monty Williams. If not clear the air, what that means for the Suns and their upcoming season, and how Steve Nash says that he doesn't care if Ben Simmons shoots a shot. And then I'm going to get into some college football, and then cap it off with Aaron Judge, who hit 61 home runs last night, tying Roger Maris for the most all-time in American League history. So let's get right into it, starting with the Miami Dolphins, Versus the Cincinnati Bengals game tonight. Who has the edge? Who am I picking? To me, I think this is going to be just a great matchup, fun matchup to watch. You've got the 3-0 and Miami Dolphins led by Tua to Tagovailoa, who has been great this year. Passer rating of over 100, high QBR, thrown for 925 yards, which is the second most in the league, and then you look at their receivers, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill are two and three, sitting over 300 yards apiece there. Those two guys are electric, and they're going up against Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. This is a great matchup right here, but there's a couple things I'm really looking forward to in this matchup. One, Tyreek Hill versus Eli Apple. If you recall, last year's AFC Championship game, when the Chiefs played the Bengals, it was in uh, you know, Kansas City, of course. That was when Tyreek was still on the Chiefs. And Eli Apple made the big stop at halftime on a Tyreek Hill catch to not allow Kansas City to get a touchdown to go up 28-3. to That probably would have been the dagger, of course. That tackle... It kind of sparked the halftime comeback for Cincinnati to go out and win that game. There was all that talk after Eli Apple was so hyped, you know, shutting down Tyree Till. He had a lot to say. But now Tyree Till is looking forward to this matchup. Says he owes Eli Apple, I owe you, boy, to a talk of Iloa. It said that if he sees Tyree Till matched up one-on-one with Eli Apple, he is just throwing it up to Tyree Kill. Jesse Bates says that they've got Eli Apple's back. So to me, that's a great story within the game right there. Uh, last time we saw Eli Apple on a big wide receiver was in the Super Bowl, and it did not end well with him. Cooper Cup torched him. When Tyreek's playing with a chip on his shoulder like tonight, I think he's going to have a huge game. Jalen Waddle is a little dinged up. Uh, He's questionable play. I expect him to play. But that means I believe Tyreek's going to get a bulk of the uh, offensive workload tonight. It's going to be a big day for him. I don't see Eli Apple stopping him. I don't. It's going to force Cincinnati to double cover uh, Tyreek Hill because he's just that guy. He's just too good. And he'll make Eli Apple... uh, look like not an NFL player tonight. 
So that's one thing. One matchup I'm really looking forward to. The other is, you know, a pair of college teammates on each team that are playing against each other yet again and have done so in the past. Tua and Tiger Bailoa and Jalen Waddell, quarterback wide receiver duo, have been great since they'd entered the league. They also, you know, were college teammates in Alabama together, and they also went up against Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, uh, who were teammates together at LSU. The 2019 LSU-Alabama game that Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase won. They put up prolific numbers. Now we get another, you know, little rematch here of that in this game in Cincinnati. Uh, so the question poses, you know, who would you rather have in the long run? Tua and Waddle or Burrow and Chase? And the answer is obviously Burrow and Chase. Uh, you saw them in college together, Burrow and Chase. It was prolific to say the least. It was 2,000-plus yards, 20-plus touchdowns. Joe Burrow with the Heisman. Uh, Jamar Chase with the Billikinoff for best wide receiver in college football. Now that they've entered the league, Jamar Chase is one offensive rookie of the year. He is just spectacular. This duo uh, went to the Super Bowl last year. So I think moving forward, you know, Cincinnati as the edge of quarterback. They've got Burrow over two. Two is still good, but Joe Burrow is better. When I look at wide receiver, uh, Jalen Waddles or Jamar Chase, it goes to Jamar Chase. Now, if you do Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, that obviously gets a little closer there. I might still pick Jamar Chase, but these are two very high-powered offenses. Uh, both of them have reworked their offensive line this past offseason. And for Miami, it's working out. The offensive line is a lot better where Cincinnati has reworked theirs, and it just doesn't look as good. Uh, it still looks as bad as last year. But to me, there's hope for it to gel and get a little better. And then when I look defensively, I do think Miami has a better defense than Cincinnati when it comes to a talent, especially in the secondary. Uh, when you look at uh, Xavier Howard and Byron Jones compared to the Bengals, you know, I think the Bengals have an excellent all around uh, team. I like Trey Hendrickson as a pass rusher. I do like their secondary, Jesse Bates, uh, Dax Hill, uh, Von Bell. But their linebackers are a little suspicious, are suspect, uh, suspicious as well in their play. Uh, and their pass defense, you know, it's, to me is not as shut down as their run uh, defense is. I know it's early in the year, uh, and I do think, you know, this is going to be a tremendous, tremendous game. Uh, but I'm going to pick Cincinnati to win this one. Uh, I trust Joe Burrow. I trust Jamar Chase. I'm not basing it off the color of the uniform of Bengals white out tonight. It's not that. But I look at the Bengals, and I, you know, thought they'd have a two seed. They started off 0-2. Poor play against the Steelers, they still could have won. And then against the Cowboys, still could have won. They tweaked a few things, and they handled the Jets, you know, pretty easily last week. So they're coming in with momentum. I think they're going to win this game against the Dolphins. I think it's going to be a hard fight game because the Dolphins have beat some good teams. They beat 
the Patriots, who are Bill Belichick-led great defense in the division. They beat Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, and they beat Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. So those are not wins to scoff at. But now it gets a little more heightened. This is the first primetime game of the year for Tua in this offense. Now we're going to see under the lights, you know, what each team is made of. Again, I think this will be an excellent game. I hope it's back and forth. But at the end of the day, give me Cincinnati. Give me the duo of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I think Tyreek Hill will have an excellent day. But at the end of the day, I'm going with the Cincinnati Bengals uh, to get that one and get back to 500. Now I want to talk about Tom Brady, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. And how he has struggled so far this season, three games in, uh, he is clearly... You know, not himself. He's 22nd in the league in terms of passing yards. His average yards per game is only 224. Uh, he's got a low QBR of, you know, 47. Pass rating of 90. It's, you know, everybody wants to, you know, talk about the struggles of Tom Brady. But guess what? There's another quarterback, a contemporary, you may say, of Tom Brady, that's struggling just as much as him. And you know who that is? It's Aaron Rodgers. Yes, Aaron Rodgers got the head-to-head win this past weekend, but they both have been struggling the same way. Tom Brady, like I said, is 22nd in yards, passing yards, for a game at 224. Aaron Rodgers is just one tick above him at 21, 228. These are the quarterbacks last year who led the league in QBR, high completion percentage, pass rating. But Tom Brady, like I said, 47 and a half. That's below the 50 mark, you know, 0 to 100. So that's below average there of 50. But Aaron Rodgers is 48.9. He's also below average and pass rating both below 100. Geno Smith is a higher QBR and pass rating than both of them. Jared Goff has a higher QBR pass rating yards. So does Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, and Joe Flacco, Carson Wentz. Guys we would never say would be above Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, but there they are. Yet, out of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, we want to quantify, highlight Tom Brady's struggles and ignore Aaron Rodgers. But they're both facing the same issue. That's personnel issue. It is. Aaron Rodgers, down his favorite target, Devontae Adams, through three games, a bunch of rookies. He's still getting on the same page with his players. Tom Brady, so far, Chris Godwin, heard him a first game, haven't seen him since. Julio Jones, heard him a first game, haven't seen him since. Mike Evans, suspended for a game. He's only played two out of three. Uh, Rashad Perryman, Russell Gage have dealt with injuries. They've been in the lineup, but they've dealt with injuries. Offensive line for both Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady have dealt with injuries. So they're not used to what they're working with. Aaron, Tom Brady isn't. But then people want to highlight the 
tablet throws that he's been doing for a while now and all that jazz. So, yes, Tom Brady is struggling to start off this season. But I believe he will correct faster than Aaron Rodgers. Mike Evans is coming back from his suspension this week. He'll be playing. Chris Godwin is practicing. That helps him out. Julio Jones is practicing, but Julio Jones, to me, is icing on the cake. He's not part of the cake like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are. If those two are playing, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, who've consistently led the Bucks in yards and receptions the past few years, those are the two key cogs right there. If Tom Brady has both those guys, this offense is going to look worlds better. It just will. If they get their left tackle, Donovan Smith, in, they won't have to play the third string. That helps them out. I think Pro Football Focus has Tampa Bay's offensive line rated as the seventh best offensive line, and that's without their starting center. It's with a new left guard, a new right guard, and a third string left tackle. I'd say we're doing pretty good. You put the regular left tackle, and if he comes back this week, uh, the backup center has been doing just fine. The right guard has been doing good, and even uh, their other left guard has been doing good. So the offensive line has been holding up. Everybody comes back. Yes, you deal with injuries, but you usually deal with injuries mid-season, end-of-season. Usually not to start off the season with all these injuries Tampa's facing. But Tom Brady, I'm not worried about his struggles. He's not fallen off a cliff. He's not going to finish the season 22nd in yards and, you know, 20 and like, you know, 17th in QBR and all that. He's just not. Tom Brady is not going to finish like that. Uh, and if you think he has fallen off a cliff and he's struggling, then that's you. But I think Tom is going to bounce back this week. He's going to have a great week against the Chiefs. The receiver's going to be healthy. And a win here on Sunday would definitely propel this team, you know, further down the line, especially if they stop committing the little mistakes like turning the football over and penalties. Uh, watch out for this offense when Tom Brady starts clicking. No, I'm not worried yet. I'm not panicking yet. No urgency yet. We're three games in. Tom Brady's been doing just fine uh, considering the circumstances and the fact that he's only thrown one interception to Aaron Rodgers, too, is pretty good uh, because Tom Brady usually, you know, throws more interceptions than Aaron Rodgers, but so far he's good. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has thrown more interceptions. Lamar Jackson has. Kirk Cousins has. Matt Ryan has. Uh, Jameis Winston and, you know, Matthew Stafford leave the league in that. You know, Mac Jones, too, is throwing a bunch. So, I ain't worried about Tom Brady. I just am not. There's other things to worry about more than Tom Brady uh, and his struggles. Another bit of news in the NFL is Joey Bosa, outside linebacker for the Los Angeles Chargers, is going on IR, groin injury, head coach Brandon Staley. Hopes that he'll be back later in the season. Expects him to be back later in the season. But this is a big deal for this defense. Joey Bosa is one of the best outside linebackers, edge rushers in the league. Uh, he is great at what he does. And now that we've seen him pair with Khalil Mack, that duo looks even better. 
So to me, this is a big loss for the defense, considering that Joey Bosa is like a cornerstone of this defense, a leader of this defense. That hurts the Los Angeles Chargers. To me, it's a big deal. Uh, this defense is not going to be the same with just Khalil Mack. Having two premier edge rushers uh, is definitely a great luxury in this league. Now the Chargers don't have that. Now I want to see their pass rush uh, that really didn't get going against the Jaguars this past weekend. And the defense, and, you know, they're going to need uh, Joey Bosa. They're going to need this defense to step up. Yes, they might get a little layup against the Texans this week. Uh, and then the schedule gets tougher. They play uh, the Broncos in division. They play the 49ers, the Chiefs still. Again, they'll play the Raiders again. And they've yet to play the Broncos. So, schedule's not getting easier. It's early in the season, and they lost a big part of that defense. I hope Joey Bosa a quick recovery to get back out of the field because the Chargers are going to need him. They're going to need him to get after Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson and all those great quarterbacks that they play. Having Joey Bosa is huge for his defense, and it's a big loss, him not being there. Other NFL news. Let's talk about Bill Belichick, who many people call the GOAT, the greatest coach of all time. Do I believe he's the greatest coach of all time? Nope, I do not. If we're talking about, you know, football coaches in general, give me Nick Saban. If you want to hold me to NFL, give me Vince Lombardi. Uh, You know, what we like to do is, you know, not count world championships and only count Super Bowl. Like, there's only been 54 years of the NFL and not more. Uh, Vince Lombardi won three uh, world championships before it went to Super Bowl and then won the first two Super Bowls. So if we started counting Super Bowls earlier, he could have had five. So Vince Lombardi was good, and they do name the Super Bowl trophy after him, the Lombardi trophy. Aaron Rodgers said Bill Belichick is a living legend, the best to ever do it. I don't agree with Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers believes, especially after beating Tom Brady, He's a little cocky now, even though Tom Brady's got the better win percentage against him career-wise after that little win. Aaron Rodgers was feeling good about himself, not calling him Tom, calling him Tommy, uh, like he's just a kid, you know, I'm better than you. And if I would have had Bill Belichick, well, guess what? I would have been the GOAT. I would have won six Super Bowls. I definitely believe Aaron Rodgers respects Tom Brady, but deep down he believes that the positions were switched, if the situations were switched, he'd be the one with six rings right now, not Tom. Uh, and that's good for him. I think him and Bill Belichick would have been a great fit. Would they have won as much Super Bowls, uh, Bill Belichick, with Aaron Rodgers like, against Tom Brady? No, I don't believe so. Tom Brady's a better leader than Aaron Rodgers. He's got the better intangibles. I have a clutchness, a game-winning drive. That Aaron Rodgers doesn't have. So they would have won multiple Super Bowls. They would have won six. And Tom with other coaches, as we saw with Bruce Arians, in his prime, Tom Brady would have won other Super Bowls. Uh, Tom Brady, at the end of the day, is still the GOAT. Uh, but, again, it would have been a great relationship Bill and Aaron Rodgers because they're both weird. Both, you know, don't like leading that much, talking uh, that much. So 
It would have been perfect. And that was just quantified the other day. Bill Belichick yesterday was talking about Mac Jones' ankle injury, a high ankle sprain, usually out a few weeks. But Bill Belichick says day by day in his, in his interview 12 times that the interview of uh, the injury is day by day. The doctors are taking it day by day, day by day, day by day. Everything is day by day. He's encouraged, but it's day to day. Well, I've got some news for Bill Belichick. His job security should be day by day. See, especially in the sports world, when we see here with two legendary coaches, Bill Belichick in the NFL and Greg Popovich in the NBA, there's a nice mirror there where both of them have lost their great star players, their 20-year dynasty that, you know, Greg Popovich had uh, is no more. The Mono Ginobili's, the Tim Duncan's, the Tony Parker. The Kawhi Leonard, the Danny Green, that helped that dynasty go for that long. He's gone. Bill Belichick's, Tom Brady's, Rod Gronkowski's, Julian Edelman's, uh, you know, Amendola's, the Damian Woody's, you know, the Roddy Harrison. All those guys are gone. Totally new team. Nothing existent to pass on from a previous team. And Bill Belichick is way in and over his head. But we give Bill Belichick and Greg Popovich a pass. Why? Because they're considered some of the greatest at their jobs. And, and they are. Uh, Greg Popovich with the five, Bill Belichick with the six. They're both great. But to me, there should come a point when, you know, we're not writing you a check. We're not continuously giving you, uh, you know, the reins. Because of legacy and what you have accomplished. To me, as a general manager, as an owner, it's I'm forward thinking I'm still wanting to win now. And Bill Belichick's just fine. He's got his money. He's got the rings. He knows he probably won't win against him with Greg Popovich. Even admitted he's doing it for the money. So again, both their jobs here should be day by day. Because if there's a better, younger option, I'm looking at the NBA and Ime Udoka somehow becomes available. I'm sorry, Greg Popovich. I'm thanking you for your service, and I'll put you on a first-class ticket out of here uh, because there's somebody better and younger out there that, you know, will lead us now compared to, you know, reflecting on the glory days, which is something which is great, but we've got no time for that right now. We want to keep winning. Same with Bill Belichick. If an Eric Bieniemy becomes available, a nice offensive mind to pair with Matt Jones, now we can make some headways. Again, Bill Belichick, thank you for your service. We'll put you on this first-class ticket out of here. Uh, again, thank you. We'll reflect from time and time again, but we're focused on the now on still winning championships and revamping this team. So, Bill Belichick... His job security should be, as he quotes, day by day. There you go, Bill. Now, Devontae Adams. Oh, Devontae. Devontae Adams, the first game with Derek Carr, just looked great. Vintage Devontae Adams, you know, 
17 targets. I think it was 10, 12 catches, 100 and like 20, 40 yards, a touchdown. Everything looked great. Since then, Devontae Adams has gone missing in action. He's gone MIA. Where's Devontae been? He's had a touchdown last game, but the yards are not looking good. You know, the targets are not there. And Devontae Adams says he's not worried about stats. That's not what he's about. He's not worried about the targets. Uh, You know, those things will come with time. And I believe, you know, the offense is still getting used to this Josh McDaniel system. They're 0-3, but Green Devontae has said, you know, Green Bay people will compare and everything like that. But to me, there is a big, big concern here. That's not with Devontae Adams. To me, Devontae Adams is one of the best wide receivers in the league. The issue right now is Derek Carr. Now, their most competitive game where they were really in the thick of it was their first game against the Chargers. And Derek Carr threw for three interceptions. They would have won that game if he didn't play like a bum, but Devontae had his best game of the season. Ten receptions, 141 yards, and a touchdown. Then you look at the Cardinals-Raiders. Cardinals won that game, too. Uh, Derek Carr, much cleaner. Oh, but guess what? Devontae Adams, seven targets, two catches, all those in the first half. And a touchdown as well. Non-existent in the second half. Derek Carr didn't really target him much. Renfro had more targets. Waller had more targets. Hollins had more targets. Then you look at the game against the Titans when they were down 24-10. to They made a last-minute rally. Derek Carr again with an interception. But let's look at Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, 10 targets, so a bit more, five catches, a touchdown. But Mac Hollins again, more targets, more receptions. And what I'm getting at here is Derek Carr stressing himself out. He's overthinking it too much. Aaron Rodgers didn't. He was the kind of guy that said, bleep it, Aaron Rodgers, or Devontae Adams is down there. I'm just chucking it up to him. Derek Carr needs to have a similar mentality. And let Devontae make a dang play. He's the best wide receiver in football. Derek Carr is trying to spread the ball around too much, make everybody happy. Oh, Hinter Renfro, yes, I've been with you a while here. I need to give you your targets, Darren Waller. Oh, Matt Collins, you're a good guy too. You're emerging. I need to spread the ball around. He's trying to spread the ball too much. You don't pay Devontae Adams $30 million a year for him to have. Five, ten targets a game, five catches. No. You pay him for the 17 targets, the 10, 12 receptions, the buck 50 and a couple touchdowns. That is what you pay Devontae Adams for. So Derek Carr needs to fix it. To me, the offense is doing a great job blending the run together, opening up. But Derek Carr's just got to execute. He's got to go out there and make a play. He's got to throw the ball downfield to Devontae Adams. He's got to get it into his playmaker's hand, which is Devontae Adams. Give it to Devontae. Have him make a man miss in space. It's not that complicated, and Derek Carr is trying to overcomplicate it. I think he's a great quarterback, but he's worried right now about forcing the ball 
down to everybody when you just don't have to do that. You just don't. Give the ball to Devontae. Trust me, Derek. It'll work out well for you. Look at how it worked out well for Aaron Rodgers. Devontae got, you know, more targets than the rest of the team combined. So, Derek Carr, take that word of advice, please, and start giving the ball to Devontae Adams. This ain't about fantasy points. This is about winning football games, and you're not going to win any game with Devontae not involved. And that's just the facts. Now, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is cleared to play. He's scheduled to start, said head coach Robert Sala, if there's no step back. So he's playing. But should he want to play the Pittsburgh Steelers? The Pittsburgh Steelers have a pretty good defense. New York Jets are coming off uh, that, you know, bad loss to the Jets. Zach Wilson's going against, uh, you know, coming back from his meniscus injury. So he's back. But to me, I think Joe Flacco has been doing well. 901 yards, uh, you know. QBR of the uh, so one fine with you know you know Zach Wilson going in there. I think Joe Flacco's done a great job, but you know if I'm the Jets, I'm just being extra cautious because Zach Wilson, somebody I invested a high draft pick for, and I just want to make sure he's right. I don't want to ding him up again. In the Steelers, even though they're down, TJ Watt still have a very formidable defense. Uh, he's going into Pittsburgh. I know you want to get Zach Wilson for reps. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but again, just, you know, make it clear that, you know, he's going in healthy because the Jets aren't going to win a lot of games. You know, it doesn't matter who their quarterback is, but with their current roster, you know, you look at their next few games, it's rough. Uh, you know, until Thanksgiving weekend, really. It's Steelers, who I think still is going to be a tough team to beat. The Dolphins, who look awfully great. The Packers and Lambeau. The Broncos, the Patriots, and the Bills. Not a very favorable schedule for Zach Wilson and this team. So, again, I play cautious. Over, I probably played over, overly cautious with Zach Wilson. He's a little dinged up. If he tells me his cohorts, I might not put him in. Uh, you know, give him a break because he's supposed to be the franchise guy. And guess what? We're not reaching our goal this year. We're not winning the division. Uh, we're not winning the Super Bowl. Not with how good the Bills look and the Dolphins look in our own division. We certainly got to beef up a lot better than we have. We're on the right trajectory. We had a great draft. But there's still a lot of work to do. Some general managers can retool a roster in a year or two. This Jets is a full one. It's, you know, been going on for a while now, but with this new regime, it's, it's to me like my Lions. It's a three-year thing. It's a three-year project. This first year is done. You need to give it two years. Thankfully, my Lions are in year two of it, so it's not as bad as Jets fans. But, of course, Jets fans just want to be relevant again. So that's it with the NFL. Let's move on to the NBA. DeAndre Aiden, Monty Williams, 
have not cleared the air. They actually haven't spoke since the Game 7 loss. Monty benched DeAndre Aiden, accused him of quitting on the team. DeAndre Aiden only playing 17 minutes in a pivotal Game 7 against the Dallas Mavericks in a blowout loss. And what it sounded like from the NBA media days from the Suns, Aiden doesn't want to be there. He just doesn't. He, you know, his press conference or his interview, you know, was the, you know, I'm just here so I won't get fined. The, you know, I just work here. Don't ask me any questions. I'm here to get my paycheck and I'm here to leave. That's basically what Aiden was like. They asked him if he's spoken to Monty since then. And he says, no, he hasn't spoken to anyone. Uh, then he asked him if he was happy to be here. And he said, I'm here. Uh, he says he's just not playing for himself. He's playing for the organization on his chest. And then they asked him about the Suns matching the offer sheet for the from the Pacers. And he said, that's good. I'm here. So not really a lot of enthusiasm coming from Aiden. And I'm disappointed in Monty Williams uh, as well because Monty Williams, uh, I think, burned the bridge between him and Aiden. I don't know if it's fixable. Uh, To me, that should have been something addressed that same night, that same Game 7, or if you let it cool, you talk to him a couple days later. You don't let this stew for the better part, you know, of four or five months. Uh, DeAndre Eden obviously clearly doesn't look happy to be here on the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Monty, you know, is trying to play it off cool, saying he hasn't talked to really any player uh, since then. To me, that's another problem. Uh, I thought, I think Monty's a great coach. I, You know, the stats prove that he's a great coach. Uh, but in terms of, you know, leadership and motivating players, I don't think Monty is there. I just don't. There's some players and some coaches you want to play for, Lions and Dan Campbell. Yeah, the guy motivates you when you want to play there. Monty's not that guy. I don't think he's there to be friends with you, go out to dinner. He reminds me more of Popovich, Bill Belichick, not smiling kind of guy. Still think he's a great coach, but he's not personable. And some people, especially younger guys, DeAndre Eda, 24 years old, want somebody personable, you know, there. And he's not getting that from Monty. And, you know, other people have their own gigs. Chris Paul has a family. He's been in the league for a while. His career's winding down. Devin Booker's got Kendall Jenner. So he's not worried about having a friendship with Monty Williams. DeAndre Aiden's a bit different. He's the youngest star on this team. So, to me, it's sad that Monty didn't fix this, you know, try to mend this at all uh, before this came out publicly. Uh, And, you know, it just seems like there's this dark dark cloud over the Suns right now. You have Jay Crowder, who's holding out until he gets traded, the tweet that says that he wants to go where he's appreciated. Uh, so he's basically out. One of the coaches wants his replacement in there before the start of the season. So you got bad drama. You got the Monty 
Williams and DeAndre Aiden drama. And then you've got this other cloud of Robert Sarver and the selling of a team. So you've got this big dark cloud over the Phoenix Suns. A lot of dysfunction, disorganization, even Chris Paul saying he learned nothing from their series loss. So to me, there's a lot of negative surrounding the Suns. Uh, the Suns, best regular season record last year, uh, had one of the best the years before when they went to the NBA Finals. But to me, the Suns have set. The Suns have set uh, the window, I believe, for the Suns was 2021. That was their best shot to win a ring. And I believe that. And it really showed last year in the loss to Luka in the semifinals. And with everything going on right now with Phoenix, you know, they lost some depth. They lost to Vail McGee uh, down there to Dallas. I don't think Phoenix is me the same team. Last year they were 64 and 18. They were really, really good. Uh, I do think they take a step back. I still think they'll be a great regular season team. But do I think they'll be the one seed best uh, record in the NBA? No, I don't. There's just too many issues right now within the Suns organization. And uh, I look at other teams, you know, that are just better than them. Golden State. Uh, went healthy. When's the last time they didn't win the finals? 2014 uh, or, you know, 2016 against LeBron or last time they didn't go to the finals healthy was 2014. So the Golden State's a great team. They really have no internal issues. Everybody gets along. Yes, Draymond says crazy things, but they've been gelling together. They know how it goes with Draymond. So Clay and, you know, Steph aren't worried about what Draymond says on his tangents. Memphis, to me, they added Danny Green. That's a huge help there. And if they're healthy, John Moran's healthy, this is going to be a great team. Dallas, obviously, is the got Luka. Denver's returning Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. Utah's going to take a big step back. Minnesota hopes to be better. New Orleans with the return of Zion. Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So a lot of teams... Has gotten better, and they don't have as many issues as Phoenix. I think Phoenix is a talented team, but when you don't have chemistry, when there's a lot of distractions, it's hard to win championships. It's hard to win rings, and that's why I don't see the Suns winning this year or any time in the near future. I believe the Suns have set. Other news for the NBA is Steve Nash and Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is finally coming back. He's going to play that bum, bum Ben. Uh, But Steve Nash says he doesn't care if Ben Simmons ever shoots a jump shot because he just cares about his unique skill set and versatility that he brings to the team, his defense, and his passing. Well, guess what, Steve Nash? Doc Rivers said the very same thing about not caring if he shoots a jump shot. But guess what? That's all fine and dandy, but it's concerning because some things you need to work on. If you're an NBA player, you should have a jump shot. You should be able to jump and shoot the ball. To me, it's a basic. Uh, So it's concerning that Ben Simmons doesn't even really work on uh, jump shooting. It'd be different if Steve Nash was encouraged 
by Ben Simmons' jump shot and say, hey, he's made some improvements, some progress, because he hasn't played a game in a year and a half. But guess what? Ben Simmons doesn't care about improving his work, his skill set. He does not care. He's lazy, and the chemistry, again, is not there with the Nets. You can talk to all you want, these big media guys that, the Nets are going to go to the conference finals because they've got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons. It's three super talented individuals. But guess what? Ben Simmons doesn't want to get better. Kyrie Irving is going to leave. That's all he's shown he does is go MIA. And KD doesn't know how to lead. Steve Nash doesn't know how to coach. So guess what? All of this with the Nets is concerning. To me, I'm more concerned about them than the Suns because at least the Suns will play together and they've got some chemistry, whereas the Nets have none. Ben Simmons is an absolute bum of the highest order. Uh, the fact that he won't even you know, improve his skills is already scary because when it comes to the same situation in late games, in critical games, if you can't make a free throw and they're fouling you like they did, is you know something going to happen psychologically like it did last time we saw you in Philly, where you know you just look scared to shoot the ball? Is that going to happen again with the Nets? Because you haven't improved now. It's like oh crap, here we go again. You know, you know the fact that Ben Simmons, you know, doesn't work on improving. His game is baffling to me. Most people work to improve their game. LeBron worked to improve his three-point shot. He's worked to improve aspects of his passing. That's what you see great people do, great talents do. Ben Simmons is not a great talent. He's not a superstar. He's not elite. He's just a guy. He's not even a 3 and D guy. Like, you know, Jay Crowder or some special star, Mikhail Bridges, where they can at least shoot a shot and play some defense. Ben Simmons is zero and D. Zero and D, zero points, all defense. Uh, and that'll mask up some of Brooklyn's defensive deficiencies because they were terrible defensively last year. So Ben Simmons, I think, will help them there. But offensively, with him in the game, uh, that hurts the offense much more because of his inability to shoot and people not caring if he ever shoots again. So that's it on the NBA front. Now moving on to some baseball, where Aaron Judge yesterday tied Roger Maris' record of 61 home runs. First off, I just want to say congratulations to Aaron Judge. That was an amazing accomplishment, and to watch it live as well was even better. Great at that. So to hit that home run, tie 61, it was huge. Uh, and just seeing Aaron Judge get it, uh, Roger Maris Jr., his mom, in the stands, Aaron, Aaron Judge is just a class act. He's a, he's a classy guy. Uh, you know, he gave the home run ball to his mom, said, you know, couldn't have done anything without her. You know, that was great. Uh, you know, is just humble as well. Uh, the opposite of what we see a lot of superstars as. But Judge is the humble guy, the class act, 
So it was just great to see uh, the Toronto fans cheering for him. You know, getting 61 was big, and it's a great accomplishment. Uh, and, you know, you look at 61, and Roger Maris Jr. said afterwards that, you know, if he thinks uh, that if Aaron Judge gets 62 and passes, you know, his dad, Roger Maris, that he should be viewed as, you know, the home run leader. And to a fault, I agree with him. I do. Uh, you look at the leaders right now for home runs. You look at Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire. Those are the three names ahead of Judge. Yes, they've had more home runs in multiple seasons, but those are the three guys. But there's an asterisk next to their names on all their home runs because all their home run records were on steroids. It was a steroid era from 1998 to 2001 when all those guys hit home runs. That's why Barry Bonds and those players, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, are not in the Hall of Fame because of steroid abuse. That's why we won't see Aaron, uh, what's his name? Alex Rodriguez in the Hall of Fame because of certain things like that. But you look at a guy like Albert Pujols, who just hit 702, who's been playing great steroid-free, you know, there we go. So Judge is clean, and that's what we like to see because you look at that steroid era of baseball, and there's undoubtedly there's an asterisk there. It's not real. It's cheating. It's cheating. So, you know, you know what they say, you know, a lot of people say, you know, cheaters never win. Well, I do the opposite. Of course cheaters win. You have an advantage against your opponent when the Patriots and Spygate, they were winning games because of the tape of the spy. So, to me, it makes sense that cheaters usually when they're giving themselves an unfair advantage against other players. And that's exactly what Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa did. They gave themselves an unfair advantage over other players to have records. So you can say Barry Bonds is the champ in 73 all you want, but he took steroids. So if Aaron Judge took steroids, there's a lot of balls that he hit that got to the warning track this year that were close uh, to home runs. If he's taking steroids, do those leave the park and give him extra home runs? That's all I'm saying. So if we want to say Barry Bonds is a home run uh, you know, leader of all time, that's fine with me. But put an asterisk there. Make sure you note that, hey, he took steroids. Aaron Judge, he's clean. He's a good guy. He's not really taking steroids there. So I get it. I agree. With Roger Maris Jr., but hey, if he is, you know, he's the all-time, if he gets one more, he's the American League home run leader in history. Uh, but I do believe there is a, you know, uh, argument to be made that for all time he could be the home run champ for a single season. And he's already going to have the greatest season offensively, I believe, regardless of the steroids or not, if he wins the Triple Crown, uh, which Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, didn't do so to lead those uh, batting average uh, RBIs, home runs, which Aaron Judge is doing right now. That would be huge. He leads the league in walks. His OPS, his slugging is towering over everyone else. Uh, he is just that good. And it's great for the sport of baseball uh, for Aaron Judge uh, to be doing this. Now time to get to my top five teams. 
in baseball. Speaking of Aaron Judge and the Yankees, they are number five. Aaron Judge has been carrying the offense on his back. They've picked it up a little bit. They've won their division, the AL East. They have the fifth best record in baseball, 96 and 59. And uh, they have the second highest run differential of plus 235 and what, nine out of past 10 games. Aaron Judge has broke a record. It just feels right for the Yankees to be in the top five. Number four, the Atlanta Braves. Fourth best record in baseball, 97 and 59. Again, a high run differential, uh, plus 179. Uh, they're playing really, really good. Uh, baseball, you know, as of this second half stretch, uh, great offensive team as well. Uh, third most runs scored so far this season. So, again, a very, very disciplined team. And they've got the championship DNA as well. Third, the New York Mets. Yes, the New York Mets are third. Uh, again, great team. They lead a crowded uh, NL East, which is, you know, the Braves behind them by one game. Mets have right now have the tiebreaker over the Braves. So it's looking good for the Mets. Again, a high run differential at plus 156. They've won seven out of their past 10 games. Uh, the Mets are, you know, will be a tough outcome playoff time. Number two, the Houston Astros. The Houston Astros just never seem to go away by George Springer. They still win by Carlos Correa and their manager. They still win. They're the second-best team in baseball, third-best run differential at, at 212, one of the best defensive teams as well, one of two teams with 100-plus wins this season. The Houston Astros are a great team. The number one is the Los Angeles Dodgers, who have broken their record for most wins in a season at 107, and there's still time left to play. Uh, again, the highest run, run differential by a disgusting amount of plus 322. Uh, they've scored over 800 runs, only team to do that, and they've held teams to under 500 runs, only team to do that so far this season. The Dodgers have been dominant, great line of good pitching. Uh, everything is clicking so far, but the question is, can they seal the deal? So that's my top five, Yankees, Braves, Mets, Astros, and Dodgers. But now, lastly, I want to talk about some college football. I was a little upset because my rankings or my picks last week, you know, had a couple close ones, they just couldn't do it. But, uh, you know, college football, I think the top four, at least to me, is set with, you know, the great teams. And, you know, you have uh, these people, you know, talking about Michigan's strength of schedule or right now their resume, you know, how it's 112. But guess what? When you look at Clemson, it's 100. You look at the remaining strength of schedule, Michigan's is 22, Clemson's is 54. Michigan's got tougher, a tougher finishing schedule than Georgia and Ohio State. The only team tougher in their league, it's Alabama. So Michigan is going to have a chance to prove it. Uh, they're great. But then when you look at the like efficiencies, the SP plus rankings, uh, just how impressive they are, you know, to me, you've got the class, uh, you know, above 
everyone else, you got Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia. You've got a big three there in terms of, you know, Alabama's offense. Uh, very high. Their efficiency is at 10. Their defense is a five. Uh, Georgia's is a five offense. Their defense is three. Only team right there in the top five. Ohio State's offense is one. Their defense is 32. Uh, so to me, you've got three clear top three teams. Uh, or S&P, respectively, Alabama 30, Ohio State 29, Georgia 29. But then you got Michigan today clearly in the top four. Their offense is 18th. Their defense is 11th. Uh, SP uh, ranking their, you know, offense is 6th, defense 11th. Uh, 25, and then they have one of the best special teams units as well, much better than Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State to kind of make up some ground there, and it shows. Uh, so to me, Michigan's a clear number four. So you have the you have the top dogs, Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. You've got Michigan there clearly at four, and then you got some more outliers below them. You've got the USC's, uh, the you know, Ole Misses, the, the even Oklahoma, even with that bad lot, they're still really good. But Clemson, Clemson's pretty uh, low considering they're a five. But when you look at their, you know, offensive, uh, you know, how good it's going to be, yes, uh, they turn the corner offensively, you know, it looks better. But their defense, you know, which was supposed to be really good, just got torched by Wake Forest, uh, exposed some things, and Wake Forest has a terrible defense. So I'm not sold on DJ Ugulele, you know, leading this team to a big win. Uh, I mean, to me, Clemson's not one of the top teams. Their overall rank is 28. Uh, offensive efficiency, 79 on a grade of 1 to 0 to 100. For 16th, their defense, 57.5 uh, rank, which is 61. So. Not, you know, to me, very good at all. Uh, you know, Clemson is, to me, Clemson is, to me, the most overrated team out of the, out of a bunch. So as to say, you know, to me, the top four is very good. To me, Clemson is vastly overrated. I think teams like USC are better. Uh, Florida State, Ole Miss, Penn State, Utah, even, you know, Washington looks impressive right now, Kentucky, Tennessee. Uh, Clemson, I'm not sold on them. They have a big week here to really change my mind and clamp it down against uh, North Carolina State, their toughest test so far. Uh, So we'll see, and you'll see my picks tomorrow as well. I hope to do better this week. uh, I think I will. Uh, not going to let you guys down. Uh, so I'll talk to you all tomorrow. This has been Unbothered. Bye, everybody.